millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. I remember being in the ring in 2009 interviewing Bernard Dunn after he had beaten Ricardo Cordoba. He was ecstatic and exhausted in equal measure, but he still managed to come out with a zinger of a line along the lines of, what a day, Ireland are Grand Slam champions, the Manx were beaten, and I'm world champion. Now, I wasn't the only one thinking Saturday just gone was shaping up to be something similar, but in the end, Leinster did not become European champions. Katie Taylor failed to become a 2-8 undisputed world champion. And the Manx weren't beaten. Neither of them. One of them crowned Premier League champions. And the other one basically qualified for the Champions League. Welcome to Monday Second Captain's Podcast. Hey, Sai. Hey, man. Hey, Owen. Hey, 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 how are you? Busy one today. Very, very brave of you to show up on. We'll today. be talking football in our second podcast today. But that was... It was not the dream no. Saturday. <laughs> no, it was we hoping for. Unle- And in fairness, unless you're a Ron Nogara super fan, which I have to admit I'm fast becoming. But in terms of <laughs> Lenser winning and Katie and all that... It, yeah, I mean, I suppose Fizzled. I was looking at it just purely through the, the Leinster lens there. I mean, it, maybe if you're a Munster fan, you know, the Katie thing, sure, that, that, that put a bit of a dampener on what was otherwise a truly <laughs> brilliant day. <laughs> so, you know, we we shouldn't just, I suppose, presume that everyone was pulling hard for the boys in blue on uh, on Saturday Saturday evening on. Uh, that, may, that, that may be wide of the mark. Mm. Uh, and that's just the... That's just the rugby fans who aren't Leinster rugby fans. You can't say, in fairness, that you weren't warned that Katie was in for a tough fight, by the way. Our World Service members heard Gavin Casey on Friday predict a Chantel Cameron victory. He went for 96-94, the exact margin of victory of the two judges' scorecards. So, doesn't get... Doesn't get much that's, more accurate than that's that. That's the standard we should be holding all of our analysts. That's the standard we've hit now on. We have to just uh, progress with that for the rest of our podcasting careers. All of our analysts have to it precisely predict not just results, but also the exact scoreline of said results. Yeah. Shane Horgan predicted La Rochelle. He did. Exact scoreline? Not no. the exact scoreline. Now, and to be fair, he was, he was hesitant. I mean, I think he did say... If you're asking me for a prediction, I'm going to say Leinster, but I don't believe that for a second. I think that was basically what he, the upshot of what he said on the show last week. Gavin, back on the show tomorrow to talk about the Katie Cameron fight and what's next for Katie Taylor. Munster could end up the one Irish province with silverware this season. We'll be chatting about their Pro 14 final during the week. The Munster Hurling Championship is on a knife edge now after a couple of thrillers yesterday. All that 
For, you're looking at me, Murph. What are you? Just, <sighs> it's how just a lot was. of fun, on. I know. I know. I, I, I know you don't want me to talk about it. We just don't have the time. But I mean, <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I've got that'll do for now. But I've got Sorry. an email that I'll get to later on. The show. Okay, okay, excellent. On the hurling, and that's all for members during the week. Five or a month plus fat. Secondcaps.com. As for the Champions Cup final, this feels like two separate but very intertwined stories, right? Leinster blowing it again when it really matters, mm-hmm. and Ronan O'Gara their old nemesis, ascending to an even higher plane within Irish sport. He dominated this event from start to finish, right from the first moments of the RT broadcast when the camera pans to the panel pitch side. And who's in the middle of them? Oh, it's the La Rochelle head coach in relaxed form, to say the least. That was the one thing I said, if I want to go coach and I can't be like I was as a player, you know, it was torture before games. We put so much pressure on us. And I think when you're the kicker, then you think that the whole world is watching you when, you know... Then after the 2007 World Cup, I went to the States and the taxi driver was there. You're back from where? The World Cup. And he was like, what's that, man? And I was like, OK, um, this guy didn't fucking see me being a loser, kicking the ball left to right, you know. So I was, in, I was on holidays in my bed. They were like, that 10, that 10 that you had, he was all over the shop. <laughs> oh, wow. All right, I'm gone. Good yeah, luck. OK, Ronan, thanks so much. Best of luck sure today. God. Thanks a million. <laughs> just, to, just to bear in mind that is right before Heineken Cup Final Jerry Joshua Flattery, with Jerry yeah, yeah, it's hilarious amazing and this is a guy who when he was a player as he alludes to himself would put himself through torture it's supposed to be harder as a coach or a manager you always hear mm. him saying oh I have to look after 30 people now not just one person mm. it's, it's much more all-encompassing and yet O'Gara seems to have cracked the code yeah. and made himself somehow a much more relaxed coach than he was as a player. Which is and amazing. he said when he went to Canterbury Crusaders, you know, where he's learnt a lot of his lessons, that he was sort of surprised how the players and the coaches sort of laugh on match day and in the build-up and just play music and, and kind of live their normal life. And that it, it didn't have to, you didn't have to act in this sort of somber, obsessive uh, way in the build-up. And that was the way it was with Munster and Ireland a lot of for a lot of Rogers' career. So he learned it. But it's one thing kind of watching another setup do it and do it differently. It's another to actually A, get your players to think that way, but B actually really believe it deep in your bones and actually be relaxed. Like you can't fake how relaxed he was on that RT yeah. uh pre match. Uh, no, 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 absolutely. I mean it's advantageous to project that image, but mm. you also if you're not in the mind frame to do it, then you're not gonna be able to do it. He was also in great form on TV after the match, getting soaked by his players going on about winning six Champions Cups, building a team that's going to do that. And then into the press conference, it suddenly seems to occur to him that he needs to use this opportunity to twist the knife into Leinster a little bit by bringing up various signs of disrespect shown towards his team, including, but not limited to, James Ryan failing to make eye contact with his rival, Gregory mm-hmm. Aldrich, during the coin toss. Normally you engage eyes and no eyes were engaged, says O'Gara. <laughs> Ken, Greg was disappointed and let down. <laughs> I don't understand why. Because, because of the if, they were meeting captain to captain, and he did not engage. Eyes were usually engaged, and on this occasion, eyes were not engaged. According to Gregory Alder, or maybe too much captain, or maybe yeah, there was a different translation at one point. Apparently. Either way, were two, the, eye were, the eyes were was engaged. There's a Goldilocks eye engagement. Yeah, he wasn't. They weren't given a big enough room for the post-match function at the stadium. This is La Rochelle. Uh, I think we're in Lansdowne Rugby Club. We couldn't get a room in this place, he says. <laughs> well, why do they, st- do they have a function at the stadium after the game? Some sort of friends and family job, yeah. yeah. Apparently so. Why, why, why have it in the stadium? It's the worst place to have it. Later again, he told off the ball, there's a small percentage of Leinster fans I wouldn't have much time for that made themselves known in the approach, which I think sparked up our boys for the battle. <laughs> <laughs> Leinster fans getting pissed and O'Gara going, oh, show them. <laughs> Amazing. What kind of stuff were they doing? I don't know if he went into any more detail than that. 
but that's we can kind of imagine you know mm. there were a few very loud renditions of the famous Leinster Terrace chant again which goes a bit welcome like to this. the jungle Leinster oh, <laughs> that was enough to piss off so listen he's crawled back into Leinster heads at this stage he's reignited the entire rivalry with a helping hand from Munster beating Leinster last week it's yeah. all it's all of a piece though Leinster are getting spooked by Munster and Raj once again and they blew it Si Leinster blew it yeah like from 17 nil up at home your plan is going perfectly so in your pl- in the players heads like we had this plan we've been thinking about this for 12 months uh, specifically designed for this team and three times in a row including like that James Lowe kick to the corner everything going right for you La Rochelle looked kind of you wouldn't say rattle, but like getting knocked behind the gain line, the likes of Will Skelton being lassoed around the ankles, everything working. So from that point on, A, for Leinster to lose belief and La Rochelle to slowly gain belief took quite a bit on both sides. Leinster, all that scar tissue came up again, kind of didn't learn any of their lessons. For La Rochelle to, to believe at that point, I think pretty much every other team in Europe would have lost belief. Yeah. So the biggest thing wasn't so much tactically because I don't think La Rochelle did anything amazing tactically. We're talking, we're talking Raj up here, but like it was essentially sort of power and territory and just keep grinding away. They didn't actually pull off any amazing offload or moment where you go, wow, that's special. Maybe the Dante bump off on ring rows for that try. That's just power, you know, and, and Will Skelton's power over and over. Did a couple of poaches, but not an exceptional amount. But it was just more them getting scoreboard pressure on Leinster. And as Raj said before and after the game, particularly after to BT, we know these guys can be rattled. He didn't say it in explicitly those terms, but they haven't won it in a good while now. And if we have scoreboard pressure and play our territory game, they're going to struggle. And that was it. Like, Leinster, tactically, I mean, they, they, they shanked so many kicks, but tactically, they didn't get all that much wrong. They got it mentally and psychologically wrong. But that wasn't from the start. They were calm at the start. That's the, that's the incredible thing. Yeah. Talk about embracing the occasion for yeah. the first... 11 minutes yeah, and then it all starts falling apart and you're not you're not talking about a bunch of players who haven't won anything they've all won everything there is to win over the last 12 months they're not flakes now as a group Leinster are starting to head that way you'd have to say but this group of players have won more than most uh, other players in Europe so and quite recently so that, that turnaround, that sort of turnaround in psychology was the most epic thing about an epic game, a brilliant game of rugby. Ken and I did just exchange a glance there, Simon, when you said that Leinster aren't flakes. I mean, we're not saying that Leinster are flakes, but at the same time, it is two seasons in a row. The yeah. proof of the pudding is in the flaking. <laughs> um, this is an extremely flaky pudding. Well, this is the thing. I I wonder will we look back on this as that was the start of La Rochelle being becoming you know the Canterbury Crusaders of Europe and and winning five and six years or mm. and going on to win the double in France as well as opposed to we think this is all about Leinster. Maybe we're actually just watching a really brilliant team. There's no doubt there's mental frailty in Leinster as well, but very few teams could have picked away at that at seventeen nil away from home in the final. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean... I think they uh, can now become flaky, yeah. Leinster. Okay, because I'm, you do this enough years in a row. Yeah. Like, say Mayo won one way back in the 90s against Meath or something. Yeah, yeah. This might never have happened. Mayo may have gone and won a couple more. Yeah. But if you do a couple in a row against a good team, it, you then self-sabotage. Fact, it's not just La Rochelle, to be honest. Yeah. They've, they've lost other yeah, teams Saracen, in semi-finals as well. Saracen's so it's, it's been a consistent... You know, well, well, Will Skelton. I'm just saying, if, if, if I was constructing an argument to say that Leinster aren't flakes, Mayo aren't the team that I'd be going to rhetorically. You know what I mean? I wouldn't be reaching for Mayo at this juncture. No, no what I'm saying I, is... Yes, they, they I, are, I know what they're becoming. But uh, I, I will tell you this, though. I mean, I was actually at Galway Tyrone on Saturday. So 
I was being informed via text message of what was going on in the Leinster game. And, I mean, <laughs> suffice to say, my, my thoughts as, you know, so I'm, I'm watching one sporting event, but hearing about another one, uh, which is never a great way to be to, to be uh, taking in this information. But I was like, oh my God, this is literally the biggest bottle job I've ever heard in my, my entire life. I actually sat down to watch the game yesterday. It wasn't as bad as it sounded to me via text message, for sure, in that you go 17-0 up at the start of a Heineken mm-hmm. uh, Cup final. You score three tries inside the first 11 minutes and you somehow contrive to lose. I think it is true that La Rochelle are much better than I think the floating Irish sports fan gives them credit for because they don't have, you know, the five or six starters for the French team that Toulouse have. You know what I mean? It's it's easier for us to understand who these people are, but at the same time, it's, you know, it's it's hugely damaging. It is hugely yep. damaging. And I posed a question last week and you kind of laughed at me about the World <laughs> Cup, right? Yeah. Um, but this is a lot of the Irish team given a chance to, like, at the, and I mean, Grand Slams are huge. They're absolutely huge. But there is a subset of the Irish sporting uh, audience that won't take Irish rugby seriously until they win a World Cup quarterfinal. Mm. And to lose a game like this in your home stadium against a French team in circumstances that are, you know, mm. kind of nearly bizarre, you know, to score three tries in 11 minutes, in the first 11 minutes and not win the game. I think... That is definitely baggage that Ireland will be carrying yeah. into the World Cup. Like, I don't think there's any doubt about it. Like, it has to. It absolutely has to. Yeah. Like, we referenced it a couple of weeks ago, I think, talking about all the Leinster players, all unbidded, talking about the Champions Cup final last year for like mm. six months afterwards. Yep. They were obviously massively scared by it. I mean, that was Teddy Bear's picnic stuff compared to Saturday. They are different co- it's a diff- they're different teams with the different coaches and different environments and a few differences there yeah. and Ireland have proved that they can do it yeah. very recently. Yeah. So yeah, I, 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 to be I honest, think I think the big thing is Tony Sexton. Well, yeah, like, exactly, I mean? yeah. like if, if Ireland have Sexton, then I think it's a different deal. And but Shane, I also Shane think Ty Byrne and O'Mahony are significant. Sorry, Shane's going to be talking a little bit about Ross Byrne here. So there are, there are definite specifics where you would say if Ross Byrne is in that situation, mm. if he's still the second choice at, yep. half, at a World Cup, does he have to grab it by the scruff of the neck more than he did, which is something that we're... We're going to get into yeah, I, I just think that, that like Leinster have been thinking about this for 12 months, this team, this coach for 12 months, and that actually was a negative for them ultimately because their whole season was like, we'll get the big lead in the URC, then send our second team to South Africa for those mm-hmm. final few games of the season, same as the, they did the previous year. They will then rest our team in the in the semi-final against Munster. Um, we'll all be prepped and zoned in for this final. We have a very specific game plan for La Rochelle and everything was actually right up to you know the 70 nil and even kind of up to half hour mark because they got a couple more penalties and a good a good lead but as soon as there was that that there was any flaw that they saw oh god the plan we've been given isn't working then it all fell apart there's no doubt they were but but I mean, they were showing sh- mental frailty mental at 70 nil up is a pretty bad that's pretty bad yeah <laughs> do you know what i mean like you're 70 nil up yeah and you're, you start doubting the plan. I don't think there's any doubt that yeah. they were mentally shaky in that second half. You can't make that many errors and yeah. put it down to just coincidence. Let's hear from Shane and Rory. Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The chicken. Make me a scapegoat, if you will. Call me a traitor, if you will. Can you believe this? Can you believe this? Please, let's save the country. They say Roy McElroy is a brave book. <laughs> you know, if the price of freedom, the price of peace is the blackening of my name. <laughs> the chicken. Well, we certainly have plenty to talk about in our rugby slot today. Shane, dare I ask, how's the form? It's not great, lads. <laughs> <laughs> it's not great. It's been like, um, it was devastating yeah. on Saturday. As devastated as I've, well, certainly since I've retired. Uh, I've never never felt quite like that. And it did bring back the most painful memories of my career as well, which included... Um, um, you know, the, exiting the World Cup in 2007. And the one that actually came to mind most as I was sitting with my head in my hands was the semi-final against Munster mm-hmm. in 2006. And um, I think there's a few, there's a, there's a few parallels, actually, not necessarily with, you know, the type of game or the, even the type of performance, but with the kind of predicament that Leicester might be in now. Okay, well, we'll get into all that. And there's, there's there's one obvious common thread between that Munster team and the current La Rochelle team in terms of I'm the, the quite aware of that. As well. Don't worry, <laughs> that guy, that guy, that guy's getting a mention. All right, he was there in '07 uh, as well. And, yeah, and as much as you know, um, and we'll go into it later on. And, and, and I, you know, as devastated as I was, um, the, what he's doing and what he's done and um, what he'll continue to be is, you know, inspirational. I think, and if there was any. You know any silver lining, and and I found it very difficult to to, um, to uh, draw one from it. Um, I think you know his success is something that you know everyone can be proud of. The other voice you're hearing is that of Rory O'Connor, who wrote in the Independent. Leinster started like a train, but then pulled into the station to wait for the fifth star to arrive. Rory, what happened? It reminded me a lot of the Ireland Wales Six Nations game where Ireland scored heavily in the first 20 minutes and looked like they had the game in the bag. I can't remember exactly what the score was after 15, 20 minutes, but it was an incredible start. And in the stadium, Wales were completely dominant for the next half an hour, 40 minutes, and Ireland just pulled up. But Wales weren't good enough to score. And then Ireland brought Ross Byrne on and they, they closed the game out. With, they made the changes and Wales ran out of steam. But against La Rochelle and the quality that, that they have, 
Leinster through their flurry of punches. Sorry, uh, maybe it's the fight the weekend. I've got a lot of boxing analogies <laughs> in the head. Through their opening flurry, and then they. And it's hard, like rugby. You know, Man City go three up after twenty minutes. They they can sit on the ball. They just keep the ball. The other opposition can't get near them. You can't do that really in rugby. You have to keep playing, and f- through a couple of things, largely the quality of La Rochelle. It's it's not just on Leinster. We got to recognise that they are an unbelievable team. I think if they were at the World Cup, they would have a very good chance of winning it. They're they're right on. You know, are they better than anything Ireland came across in the Six Nations? They quite possibly are. You know, they're certainly in in that conversation. Considering that O'Gara has and and his team there have drawn together so many world class superstars from across the world and put them into this 23, 23 man squad. But Leinster have got to own what they they can do in their own uh, control, and they got more and more frazzled as the game got on. He, they're definitely in 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 their heads. They're 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 definitely. I think this fifth star narrative that they have putting everything on winning this trophy again, even resting the entire squad for two weeks beforehand. As the game got on and as the prize got closer, they started to make bad decisions, bad decisions under enormous pressure. But it wasn't just the La Rochelle pressure, it was the pressure of what was on the line for them. And there's a couple of examples of that that we can go into later. But La Rochelle won it. They were the better team across 80 minutes. Then they were the better team for 12, 20 minutes. They were unbelievable. It was an incredible start. But you can't just rely on that against these this levels of team, and maybe against other oppositions across the season, you can throw that flurry and then just sit back. But you just can't do that in this at this level what, of competition. What are the parallels we, with two thousand six, Shane, that you mentioned before? I let that I, one go. Just, just one quick thing on that: yeah, we did yeah. say we did say before the game that you know the pressure that comes with getting that fifth star um, could do two two things: it can either inspire or it can uh, in, intimidate. And um, I think it did. It did the latter for. Uh, well, it did. Sorry, it did both. We saw like a, one of the best starts and some of the best play that we've seen, you know, for, in any Highland Cup final and from from any Leinster team. And then you could feel the anxiety, and uh, you could see it on their faces, even going in at half time. The way La Rochelle went in after that try, and the way Leinster went in. There was a complete change in, in in body language, and then when they came out for the second half, they were riddled with anxiety for almost the entire second half. And you could see what was happening. They were thinking, "We had made the perfect start. We had it all. We had the star on our shirt, and it's going bad here." And as it unfolded, there was an inevitability about it, you know. And some of the play not being able to get out of their their uh, twenty two or in the half or halfway, not being able to retain possession. Um, you know, a series of really bad kicks. It looked as if they were impinged by by anxiety. How can a team at that level who have been in and around the biggest games, have been involved in them, Shane, be, in your words, riddled with anxiety when they're still coming out with a half-decent lead in the second half? Well, because they're, they're human beings, you know, and sometimes the mind wanders. And, you know, I think anybody uh, who's, who's played rugby or played sport can know that feeling where um, especially when, when things have gone so well at the start and there's an adrenaline that goes with that and that's the other thing that I thought that was clear the the way Leinster were pumped up for that you know for the opening um, period their rooking their body height was so good their accuracy at the breakdown was phenomenal you know every pre-planned move that they did worked they just looked phenomenal Uh but as you know, La Rochelle came back into it with those uh, tries in the in the first half. That kind of you know they were very distinctly different um, from what Leinster had done. But you know, nonetheless, they you know they were they were the points on the scoreboard. And 
as that started to build up, of course, you sort of your mind sort of wanders. We've given these guys our best. It's like in a boxing match. We've given this guy the, the best. We've hit the massive shots and he's still standing. What's going on? And then instead of thinking about what you're doing, you're reflecting on what's happening. And I think that was clear. The other thing that I really noticed was Leinster were out on their feet very early in that second half. I remember Ringrose was going around telling people to stand up, to, to breathe. Um, uh, because I think that was you know, maybe two things. I don't think it's a conditioning thing. I think they just left so much out there in the first half and they had so much adrenaline, how pumped up they were. Every time they scored one of those you know, brilliant tries, you know, the level of uh, adrenaline that must rush through the body, they that, for me, looked as if they were depleted in energy in the second half. And of course, the exact opposite was the case for La Rochelle. Having gone through that horrific period at the start of the game and you think... You know, you know, maybe you think you're out of them. They certainly didn't, but you know, one would. Um, as they stayed back in the game, they got back into it. They got into the the, the change room at halftime. Can you imagine O'Gara in the change room at halftime? How positive he was about sure what was got on. You know. Yeah, I'm not he, sure he was in there. I think he was in the referees' room, or he's trying to get the referees. Room. <laughs> okay, well, go on to that. Yeah, that might be something else. Oh, no, absolutely. The 2016. Why did it remind you of that? Of uh, possibly your lowest ebb in in club rugby? Um, because nothing else matters, and I hate to say this, it's maybe not good for the listenership of this podcast, but nothing else matters for Leinster in terms of um, you know the next the next year of games until and if and if they do get into a final again and get into the European Cup final because they could win every game by 25 points and we can say how brilliantly they're doing and you know what the, you know how the great their players are and their system is great and none of it matters because every conversation we will have will be caveated on well what about the last two weeks of the season because that's all that matters and until they get into a position and, and Rory's really right about the the fifth star everybody's obsessed with it and and that almost makes everything else redundant. So until they get into a position again um, to to challenge for the European Cup, and maybe maybe it has to be against La Rochelle to really shake it off their back, until that happens, none, the rest of the season is, I'm sorry to say, pretty meaningless unless they, you know, unless they absolutely, you know, fall off a cliff in terms of performance. And then that's a different conversation. I don't expect that to happen. But in terms of how good they are during the year, it doesn't matter doesn't matter because everything now is on winning the next um, opportunity they get in the final. Shane, just on Leinster and that ability to shrink in the second half, almost physically, but certainly tactically, psychologically, the biggest surprise for me was that they didn't learn from last season. And it's one thing to be in that situation against that team with that coach in one final, to have the lead, to have that inevitable sense that they're coming at you, their power, their territorial uh, dominance. And then the exact same thing to happen in the second final, or two finals in a row. And then also to get this out-of-nowhere lifeline, this time from the Dante high tackle on Doris, and again to respond badly. I, I, what did you think from that point on? So I thought Leinster had, were actually odds-on to probably win it from that point um, once they actually secured the line out from van der Fleer. But what did you think of that end game from the point of the Dante uh, high tackle and yellow card? Well, they should have won it. They should have won it. And just to bring it back a little bit further to the, the, the start of your question, Simon, is um, I don't think, I think they did learn from last year. And if you, you know, the opening, the opening stanza, um, you know, demonstrated that. Now, the idea that you're not going to, you know, you, you may 
be forced into conceding tries because of the incredible power of La Rochelle. I'm afraid you're going to kind of have to maybe accept that. Now you don't, you know, it doesn't mean that you're any less aggressive or your or, or your ambition is not to allow them to score tries. But you know that is likely to happen. And last year they scored, um, La Rochelle scored three to zero, and that's ultimately why they won. Um, um, Leinster went out with, the, I think, the right mindset and was very sort of calculated, very obviously very clearly defined on a, a training park and on the whiteboard of how to break them down, and did that. Um, and that was all great in the first half. But in the second half, yes, fatigue was a factor. The anxiety came in. but And, and those two contributed to them not playing. And that was the real issue here. It's that they did not play in that second half. They could not get out. They couldn't get territory. They couldn't keep the ball. Ross um, Burns started playing in the pocket. like, And there's no at no point do, do the Leinster coaching tickets say, that is how we should play, and that's where you should be standing. You know, to my, unless I'm, they want to correct me, but standing directly behind the rook, fifteen meters back, and a, you know, kicking the ball when actually most of the team is in front of you at that point, and you have to kick the ball. You know, you have to kick the ball fifteen meters to even you know to get it over to the opposition side. You know, that is just not a plan that anybody has, and that comes from you know stress and being inhibited and just making very poor decisions because of anxiety, because of tiredness. So. You know that that was um, as, I was, as I was watching that unfold. I was going, "This is this is not good for Leinster." And then because of that, because we were informed by that, I was concerned about them being able to um, you know uh, manufacture a score in those last few moments after Dante went off. What was really troubling was there didn't seem to have gone into a drop coal setup. Um, and I would have thought that was you know after they score after after. Um, you know, even after um, La Rochelle scored, I would have thought in the huddle, that's what you say. Kick the ball, get it back. Let's get into the drop goal setup, get a drop goal. And I'm surprised if that wasn't, hasn't been practiced and if it hasn't been prepared. And then why it wasn't implemented, I don't know. And it wasn't implemented. Uh, at the time, my memory came back to, again, the 2003 World Cup final um, with um, England and uh, Johnny Wilkinson. They everybody knew what they were doing because that was prepared beforehand, and has been talked about so often that you know teams prepare in that way. Leinster didn't do it. They went to wide channels. They you know they they at no point was um, uh, Ross Byrne dropping into the pocket. I thought maybe even they would have Frawley on to give two drop goal options. That wasn't done, but. You know, I thought Ross Byrne was too front of line and for that, having been in the pocket all the second half, then to go up and not uh, take him, you know, not not to offer that as an option in the 22 when Leicester were in a couple of really good chances for that. Uh, is that the outhouse no, decision, I, I, Shane? Would that always be the outhouse decision at that point? Oh yeah, listen, that's yeah. that's that is yeah. Out half and you know nine and ten are talking about that, but the whole team should know about that. Yeah, you know, you need to get the, a drop goal would have won that game. I'm convinced of it. Right. So what you would, when they got the ball, that should have been a call to go into the setup for drop goal. And and you know there may be that would be a wrinkle on what you would normally do in trying to score a try in, in, in the in the opposition 22 because it's it's a different objective. But everyone should know about it. It should be, you know, a systematic type of play. And we talked, see, looked at how good Ireland, um, or sorry, Leinster were prepared before the game and those set plays worked very well. That is what we would call a power play and there should be the option and 10 at no point went in the pocket to drop a goal. And I know that's harsh on, on Rosh Byrne. I, I know it's harsh on him. But, you know, this is what it is. He's 27. He's a leader of the team. 
and when Sexton isn't there as a 10. These are the moments of your career that you have to take the responsibility on, and unfortunately, he didn't choose to do it. David Murphy emailed in along these lines. Rory said, I'll never understand why they ran themselves out of a perfect drop goal position, and when they had the chance to get back into that position, they kept neglecting that option in favour of going for a completely unnecessary try. Yeah, I, I wonder if it was just the, the amount of time left on the clock that, that it was... Um, they thought that maybe La Rochelle would have time to come back up yeah, and kick a penalty. Yeah, I, like, you know, like, you know, if you watch NFL, they're always trying to score at the right time. And <laughs> if you score too early, you give La Rochelle a chance. And, but it's funny, it all comes back to Bulgaria, doesn't it? I was listening to Dunnick O'Callaghan last week. He did a podcast with Sean O'Rourke and he talked about the 09 Grand Slam game and, and, and how when under the post when Wales went in front, it was O'Gara who took charge of the team and said, right, you're going to win the kickoff back. You're going to hit this rook. You're going to hit this rook and then I'm going to drop the goal. And from from being on the floor, thinking we've just blown it again, O'Callaghan said, "Now it's obviously uh, he's telling the story fourteen years on, and there's probably a little bit of embellishment." He's like, "But it was him, it was O'Gara that led them back from the front, and that is the tens role." I think Ring Rose was the captain on the pitch at the time, but Ross Byrne. If Ireland get to a World Cup quarterfinal or final, it's probably him going to be on the pitch at that moment. His 23-year-old rival did it a week ago at the same stadium against the same opposition at the same end. He took control. He got himself into position. There was still time for Leinster to get the ball back, but Jack Crowley went, no, we got to do it now. I wonder if they were trying to force the penalty as well as you know score the try. I, a lot of people said to me after the game on, on, on Saturday that he should have gone for the kick when the penalty was awarded. I think that would have been a bad call. Even though Van der Fleer was throwing into the line-out, it was just on the edge of his range I don't. I wouldn't criticise him for that I, that was a bit of a shot to nothing and it was enough time on the clock to go and score it but I do think Shane's right that there's two moments that where I think Leinster's decision making really comes into it um, if you go back to the La Rochelle try they had three line outs in a row all led to all uh, penalties They each time they threw to Will Skelton at the front and they never the line out forwards were all at the back of the scrum or of the line-out. So all of their options were at the back and they never once adjusted and said, do you know what we're going to do? Because Will Skelton's hard to lift and each of the lifts are really, they're not clean, he doesn't get far off the ground but they just get it into him. If you put Ryan Baird in front of him, even if you don't lift him, he's got a chance of getting it. So maybe the first time, fair enough. The second time, maybe fair enough because you think they're going to do something different. I think the third time you adjust and you go up against Skelton and you try and stop it because as soon as he comes down his, he's so ri- wide that you can't get around them and their forwards are so powerful and like part of the reason they were so tired was because they were mauling all day and losing the mauls and O'Gara had identified that so you try and win it against them so that was one element of them not adjusting yeah. to what was in front of them and the second one was the, the drop goal plan because your chances of scoring against that La Rochelle team on the line with their goal line defence, the size of men, the fact that they had more energy, are very slim. And I know they got close, but they turned it over on the line and then when they, when they went back, Alaratoa comes in high, gets himself sent off and that's the game. Yeah, what, and, and Rory, I, I agree entirely with you on, on both those points. And we, again, flagged before the game that um, La Rochelle are the best defenders of their goal line in any team. Yeah, certainly any club team in world rugby. They're phenomenal. That's what they do. It's very difficult to get over there. You pay phase after phase after phase and you think you're going to score, you think you're going to score and what happens? You get turned over. So, you know, in in those last moments, that's what Leinster should have had in their mindset. And as I said, they should have set up for the drop goal, which by the way, they were so close to the line, it was a chip. I was sitting next to, to uh, Ian Madigan and he was saying the same. He said, even if you miss... You'll get the ball back again. There was enough time for 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 uh, to get another chance and set again. So we we were flabbergasted that that wasn't being set up. And then to your point, and I think everybody in the stadium, with even a passing knowledge of rugby, was saying the same thing about the lineout. So like, Will Skelton, you could have slipped the Rizla paper underneath his, <laughs> uh, his his boots. He was he was being lifted, um, um, uh, but he was barely getting off the ground. And we didn't have anybody up there. 
And it just, it, it was flabbergasting. They wouldn't do it. And it wasn't like our, we were staying on the ground and our mall defence was excellent. We weren't. Our actually mall defence was we were losing big yardage. So, and as, as I was watching it, I was thinking, just in that position, at that time in the game, and my mind went back to Paul O'Connell. And how many times did we see Paul O'Connell, both for Munster and for Leinster, Throwing himself yeah. up, getting thrown up there when you know, and stealing the line out, and everyone going, "Oh my god!" You know how amazing is that? And whatever you expected to be on the ground, that Lencer didn't have that thinking, either. You know, coming down from upstairs or on the pitch, I, I'm really surprised at. What about management errors, then, Rory? I'm sure they weren't expecting the team to shank so many kicks. Uh, James Lowe, obviously Gibson Park, uh, Ross Byrne getting blocked down. I'm sure they wouldn't have told the players to go into their shell and, and hold on to what was a thin lead. I never felt the lead was all that significant, personally. Uh, I just felt like the inevitability of La Rochelle was the far bigger factor than the scoreboard. But just in terms of errors, I thought maybe like Jack Cohn probably should have stayed on and bring Baird on for one of the second rows. Um, but what do you think overall, management? What errors do you think they made? Well, personally, I would have started Baird because I think yep. the... Second Agreed. row. No on the flank. I would have gone with... I think Doris... I know Jack Cohn and is an excellent, excellent player, but I think Doris is probably the best number. Well, Aldridge's pretty good, and mm. so is Ardy Savay, but he's one of the top three number eights in the world. And Sorry, we can't really, have Jack Cohen. I know, I feel on, terrible. Not, not, not on this podcast <laughs> after the great chat we dropped, had. Well, there's no such thing as a dropping anymore. You know, he's a, he's a finisher. But I, I do think that you take Doris out of eight, you lose something substantial. And he wasn't, he talked about not performing in last year's final. He didn't really perform in this nope. year's final either. You take away something. Um, from your team and also Baird is one of your most physical options he is an incredible athlete He's a, he, he is in my mind potentially his ceiling is so so high and he has had a really really good season on the blindside flank for Leinster he gives you another line out outlet he gives you energy and I, I know Conan Conan played well it's hard to I'm not you know he, really well he played really well in the first he's 20 minutes he's already in better form than um, probably is than Doris, Doris but yeah. Doris has been moved around an awful lot since the Six yeah. Nations but yeah, maybe it, maybe it was Doris who should have been coming off the bench. Like there shouldn't be any sacred cows. I think he'd go back further. I think they made a mistake by resting so many players for the the, the, the two knockout games. I, I I think they need to, as I said earlier, diminish the reliance on the star as their main motivation. Win the games that are in front of you. If they had a final this week, they pick themselves up and at least finish the season on a high. Get some game rhythm. They rested all of their players for this tour to South Africa. They've only ever played in these knockout games over the last couple of weeks. And I do think game rhythm is important. Sure, you might lose some bodies, but Munster lost four players in the week before the Leinster mm. game. And they still performed on the day because they had momentum and rhythm. Like Players do need to be rested from here, here and there. But Leinster players are, 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 are as looked after all the way through the season for this point I know they play more test rugby than other team I think that was a mistake and I think Cullen will be forensic at what he does Lancaster reminds me a little bit of Schmidt and like if everything is controlled in every way on the pitch when things start to go wrong and you lose your your your, your, your stabilisers well do you know how to cycle whereas Andy Farrell's taken them away and Andy Farrell empowers them and a lot of even Lancaster himself has taken a lot of credit for what Ireland have achieved in the last couple of years well I think Ireland would have won that game because Ireland are are better, even though it's the same players wearing different jerseys, and obviously with a few like Ty Byrne, Peter O'Mahony, maybe a couple of bench options. Mac Hansen's just a free spirit; it doesn't get tangled up in the kind of um, stuff in his head. He just goes out and plays the game, which is really impressive. Not like I do think that they they struggled when 
O'Gara changed the script. They stopped kicking the ball to low from kickoff, so they couldn't exit the way they, they were they wanted to. They hounded Gibson Park at the base of the rook. Um, they challenged every kick. Every no, Leinster did nothing on their own terms in the second half. You got to figure that out. That's so it's on the line to some degree. And obviously, there's the psychological preparation. They brought in Declan Darcy this year to try and fix some of the stuff that went wrong last year. There's the prescriptive nature of what Lancaster does, which I think they need to break from a little bit for, um, next season when Nina Ober comes in. Their defence isn't good enough. You defence know. isn't good enough. Yeah, their defence isn't, isn't aggressive enough. La, La Rochelle's defence was better on Saturday and there were moments. Sutini should have got... got they were, bless Sutini didn't score off that midfield break early in the second half. There was a desperate tackle between, I think it was either... Uh, Gibson Park, Gibson Park and Keenan, them, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Um, it? They just basically got in front of him. But that... That shouldn't happen. The first try was too easy. I know there was a little bit of crossing in the build-up, mm. but it was too easy. Yeah. Um, so there are, and, and Shane would be better to speak of the technicalities of that. But a few people have said that to me since the, since the game, and, and even beforehand, that their their aggression waned as the season went on. Yeah. With Ireland, Simon Easterby is an excellent defence coach, and his boss is one of the best defence coaches we've ever seen in terms of Andy Farrell. And they put a real point on that. So there's a lot. There's a lot. There's one point in the game, and there's so much that they can get better on that you think that they can do it next year but that we've said that at the end of every season for the last five mm-hmm. seasons and, 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 and they haven't been able to just get that get over the line and they're back at the start again next season and it's the psychological challenge is only going to get bigger I mean they must be broken this morning yeah. A, a, lot to, a lot to unpack there I think is the phrase isn't it but I, I disagree with, with a number of those the, those um, observations I think you know the difference between Ireland and, and Leinster team to the, the biggest point for me, was Sexton, and I think you know the, the anecdote about Rog behind the goals um, in the uh, at the Grand Slam game. I think that's Sexton, mm-hmm. and maybe Ross Byrne was doing it. I don't know. But, I also think Ty Byrne and Mandy are significant. Sorry, carry on. Yeah. So, 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 so that that you know that that didn't happen. I think if Sexton plays, then they win that game, and I think the problem that is now that's an issue for um, Ross Byrne. It's an issue for. Um, um, uh, Farrell as well as an issue for Ireland. So you know he's being he's under the mo- mo- uh, under the microscope of being able to deliver under the most sort of I- intense pressure. Um, the Leinster defence I think is generally good. It's not as you know maybe recklessly um, aggressive as some, and I think that's maybe a conscious decision. They're very good at running in you know through the line and actually tackling behind it. And I thought at times in that first half, I did think you know that aggression was really up, and that rooking aggression in particular was was really strong. The the tries, especially the sort of Dante try, did feel soft. But I'm also thinking this is almost something that you need to accept or sort of you can't rely on making every single tackle against a, a team like La Rochelle or preventing every single offload because the way he carried that ball in it was a you know it's a fraction of a, you know a, a, a body shape that wasn't quite right and he benched off and he got the, you know he got through that gap so you know I kind of you know I feel that the the, the second try in the in the uh, in the um, in the half as well that wasn't you know that wasn't ideal but again you have to sort of say that you're playing against great teams you know they're occasionally going to you know score tries you're not going to hold them to nil so that's less of an issue for me um but you know I I think you know how they deal with anxiety and stress you know that's that is the big one and they just compounded error after error and and sort of you know didn't play or didn't you know fire a shot in that in that second half and uh, you know the the back row I I did th- I think you play Doris and Colin in the back row um I get your point we're not seeing the best of Doris 
but um, you know, would we see? We would definitely see more of him uh, uh, at number eight. It's a decision whether they go and see. You see less of Jack Conan, or you see less of Doris, depending on who plays what position. As simple as that. I feel because they're you know they're different roles. Um, so it is a big call having uh, not having Doris, who is like maybe Ireland's player of the year. Um, you know, in that position. Um, but I wouldn't put a, I wouldn't put Baird on the the flanks. I would have had him. Um, I would have had him in the second row. I have to say, I was surprised they didn't, and then I surprised um, they didn't bring him on either. That was you know quite shocking to me. And you know, within this, there was there were so many positives from a coaching perspective as well. This kind of game was kind of bizarre because you know, the way. Leinster started the way they broke them down. It was very canny, very you know smart, um, uh, you know very um, sort of observant of what uh, La Rochelle had been doing and and picking them apart. I can imagine if you were a coach and, and you know you you um, the, you scored tries in the way they did, you would be absolutely delighted. But then we did see you know, so the second half we made some of those strange decisions. I think um, with regard to substitutions or or, or non substitutions. And then sort of the inability to be able to sort of bounce um, Leinster out of the, um, the sort of lacklustre, re- re- uh, regressive way they were playing in the second half. Shane, there was one man I think dominated this entire afternoon, right from his pre-match interview when he's mimicking an American taxi driver. That's how relaxed he was, Ronan O'Gara. Halftime, tunnel dust-ups, post-match, talking about wanting to win six titles with this team and then onto the press conference where there was all manner of perceived slights that had been carried out against his supposed little team. Uh, we're seen as a little team, but that's about to change. Ron O'Gara dominated this and he is he has wormed his way back into Leinster's heads big time like he did as a player. Oh, 100%. It is, and it's not, you know, it's La Rochelle, but it's Raj. Yeah. It's Raj. And, and you know what it is? It's probably confirming everything that Raj always believed or had to believe about Leinster for long periods of his career. That, you know, if you get into them, we can, you can get up them. They're not as good as they think. Loads of you know teams, they're a bit fancy, but, you know, do they have the real grit? And, you know, that's heartbreaking from my perspective because, you know, we thought we turned a corner with that, but that's right back on the table again. And it's not just for La Rochelle. It's a, it's a sort of playbook and it's a mantra for everyone. And Ronan, throughout his career, and we don't always see what rugby players, like slights can be a very motivating factor. And Ronan is brilliant at finding the slights. You know, I had the last part of the game was, the you know, the um, the coin toss. It was the slight that, you know, he, they hadn't made eye contact. Oh no, actually, it was. He had made eye contact. It was too much eye contact. So you know, you know, it was going to be one way or another. It was going to be a slide. I think Leinster actually had incredible respect for 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 uh, La Rochelle. I think that's you know, I think that was very clear of the whole the build up. I think they spent a year licking their wounds about uh, La Rochelle. Wanted to be back in the final with them. I wanted to prove them wrong or, or, or play their you know their biggest game against them and that's what we saw in the opening you know, 20 minutes um, they just weren't able to deliver so thinking that La Rochelle are a small team I don't think that I don't think anybody I don't think Leicester thought that but it's a useful construct and you know the idea of them being the big team might necessarily be useful for motivation in the future for Roland because I think he likes that. And even when Munster were the biggest team in Europe, you know, they were they were being slighted and, you know, they weren't respected and you know and and that was what he, he needed. Now what he has done is turn La Rochelle a, a town of uh, 70,000 people, towns that are similarly based around uh, UK, Bognor Regis, Walter upon Thames, Tymouth, Bamber Bridge, you know, all the big ones. Do you ever see them <laughs> pulling out a, a European Cup? So 
It's incredible that he's done it. And this, what I did think about as well is he's talking about a dynasty and, and he has created one already and he maybe has another, there's another tale or there's another chapter to be written um, in the French top 14 by the end of the season. Um, he's got um, there and, and, you know, if they win that, then undoubtedly they are, but undoubtedly they are already. But I was looking at um, Green Bay Packers, you know, that was a town, a tiny town. It's a sort of almost anomaly with all the other franchises in the US. There's a hundred thousand people live there, and they're you know they are this, um, you know, almost America's team. You know, everybody's heard of them, everybody knows about them. That's the level that Ronan is building La Rochelle to in in, in the rugby equivalent. You know, my own hometown of Drogheda, there's you know forty thousand people there, not a great deal smaller than um, La Rochelle. And to think, you know, of them being sort of champions of Europe is, is is kind of remarkable. So, you know, I'll probably rule that one out. Actually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, we've got a bit of work to do there, but we'll see. Probably um, United nearly beat Dynamo Kiev once. <laughs> slither away. But um, so you know, this is the sort of the the size of what he's creating, and and he's not, you know, he's creating maybe a dynasty, but like also a legacy that 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 you know lives on forever and ever, and 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 it is it is incredible. And and when I was at my sort of like, you know, lowest ebb there after the game. I had, again, I had my head in my hands and I was on the second tier and I was just looking down. I was down to the main, looking down on the main group of um, La Rochelle fans and I picked out um, this little kid that was bawling, crying. This is just before the, ma- the end of the match, just as after it looked as if they were, just bef- uh, before the end of the match, just as it looked as if they were going to win. Bawling, crying in his mother's arms. I looked down again. I saw it was Jess O'Gara and um it was it was Ronan's uh, son and it was actually you know it made me feel it made me feel better because as sick as i was it was actually something incredibly beautiful about this little boy his, his father you can imagine the stress that he had you know especially in the opening 20 minutes and it turning around and it being so overwhelmed with emotion and joy that he was crying in his mother's arms and it was it was absolutely beautiful mm-hmm. and if there's anything to be taken from it from my perspective it's that um you know a lovely family like the Ogaris have um, succeeded um, and will continue to succeed because he, I tell you one thing he's a remarkable remarkable guy everything he did during the whole week was on his terms it was it was the Ron Nogara show he, de- he he interviews brilliantly he makes yeah. everybody feel um, you know um, relaxed and but he's he's he, he's not like he doesn't f- um, just you know give you mundane answers he's you know he's pointed he's direct um, and this is just the start of his career it's you know he's only been in the job two years. He's won two European Cups. He's in prime position to potentially win the top fourteen. Like this guy, what what he could achieve is is you know unlimited. Rory, can you just take us through a couple of these incidents because there was a lot of them, right? But m- maybe the main ones there that, that, that there's some confusion around is what happened in the tunnel or what's being investigated, and also this this coin toss. I hesitate to call it controversy because it's the most <laughs> confected bollocks I've ever heard. But anyway, those two maybe. Well, even Ogara talked. Um, I, I've listened to so many different Ogara interviews since the game that I'm, I'm kind of all patching them all together. <laughs> the whole picture of his day. I feel like I've done a uh, true crime podcast. But he talked. He said he got they got abused by Leinster fans on the way in, and that gave the lads a spark. I mean, none of this channelled into the start of the game like they went 17-0 down and yet they're kind of like this is all the stuff that motivated us <laughs> and yeah. maybe the Leinster fans um, it worked but yeah they did, that, they did their job the Leinster fans yeah he was kind of I wouldn't have any time for some of their fans they, they had to go with us on the way in but basically then, I, then before the game there's this coin toss where um, Aldry turns up two minutes early 
um, has to wait for Ryan but Ryan comes on time I'm told I know two people who were there they both said that it was completely blown out of a portion that, that Ryan did nothing wrong he shook hands made eye contact there was some confusion whether he stared him out or whether he didn't look at him at all it, the, the quote is in French that he, he that there was no eye contact made he goes back to the dressing room tells O'Gara about it O'Gara tells the team like look can you imagine these guys what do they think of us even the video that surfaced during the week this little clip of him talking to his team and it's undated I don't know when it was but saying in, in this kind of hybrid English French don't respect them don't show them any respect but it also sounds a little bit like they don't respect us the Irish I know what they're like they don't respect us don't respect them um, so this feeds into what he was building all week this narrative that he had before the game where he said we're not you know people keep asking us how do we stop Leinster they have to stop us first so then at half time apparently in Marseille last year um, when I say apparently in Marseille last year uh, O'Gara went into Wayne Barnes and Leinster were furious at half time time. and some of the members of Leinster's backroom team saw him they were really annoyed about it in the Aviva Stadium, the referee's room is beside the Leinster dressing room. So this year, when they went down to the tunnel, and Piper, Jacko Piper had fairly whistled La Rochelle off the park at the breakdown, which had been flagged by James Tracy in the build-up, and O'Gara got annoyed about that. So O'Gara goes down the tunnel, makes a beeline for uh, the, the referee's room, which is beside the Leinster dressing room, and Sean O'Brien and I think Johnny Sexton were waiting for him. It <laughs> uh, <laughs> has to be Sexton and O'Gara. Yeah, it's uh, all, every well, history it's, it's something in the fact that the two most forceful personalities of the Leinster dressing room for the last 15 years were there to meet them, but neither them were available to play you know what you know, well, well, if you had put O'Brien and, and like the two of the big voices because this Leinster team are quite quiet anyway there was a bit of a row a bit of pushing and shoving and, and nothing I think too physical but a lot of effing and blinding and, and O'Gara eventually went back I don't know if he ever got to talk to Piper or not it, it doesn't sound like it um, and Skelton was involved to some degree as well and this kind of surfaced afterwards EPCR looking into it um, Sexton also kind of went after Piper at the end he kind of walked out onto the pitch going, you know, wa- waving his finger and saying something to him so there's a chance that he gets mentioned in the referee's report and maybe faces some sanctions but I, EPCR's investigations into Ulster and La Rochelle getting cancelled didn't really lead to anything they don't have that much teeth as an organisation if it's in the ref's report it might lead to something but I think it's just the colour behind it all but then O'Gara comes into the press conference and at one stage he's talking about the emotion of it all and me, me, his mum being ill and then having her there and the emotion of that and the next question he's, he's starting to kind of talk about being you know considered a small team it's all there at the same time you know it's, he's able to deal with all of these things apparently he invited himself on RTE he was like I want to do the, the post match so when, when the camera zooms in at the start of the broadcast he's part of the panel uh, oh, and then he goes this is at the very start of the, the match very start yeah, of it was amazing to see him there first up it's really yeah. striking and he come, as you say he was doing impressions and then he, and then he, then he goes I'm off runs off um, and the last little bit of detail from the dressing room was the La Rochelle players were in there um, singing Leinster Leinster as they celebrated their win oh. so so wow. what I really want is that these teams, the Leinster are not seeded next year. I want these teams to be in the same pool because the spite is off the chart. Yeah, yeah. What like just being able to access a ref at all at halftime or full time is bananas. Yeah, I mean it's the kind of thing that I mean, O'Gara's how many bands has he had this season for for kind of like things he said to refs? Or, but yeah. but I, he I remember he believes he can influence them. I, I definitely, I mean, everything he did in the week, like he think even being on RT, I'm sure is part of influence. He's, he's he's not doing it for fun, you know. He's not doing it for his own profile. He's doing it to try and forced his narrative on everything and he, and he worked with the Crusaders and they do that, this theming thing where they theme everything and they come up with a, a storyline for their season and do a lot of vis- visual imagery so he's really into the 
the off. He's obviously a very te- technically gifted coach as well, and you know his playing experience feeds into that. But also, he he has put an awful lot of stock into messaging and. It's all about Everest this week. Yes, we're going to climb yeah. Everest. Who would climb you bring up if you're climbing Everest? Yeah, and he said that already. And then another interview said, um, if you if you want to climb Everest, you got to climb over the bodies first, yeah. uh, which was a really you know quite. <laughs> Stark uh, imagery, but like you know, like he, he was like, I'm feeling really sorry for these Leinster coaches and players because I really admire what they do. But if you want to climb Everest, you got to climb over the bodies first. You know, he he's thought deeply about all of this, and there's reasons behind it, and and messaging about referees outside of the of the thing is part of it. But yeah, maybe there needs to be. I I, have, I don't know the law book inside out, but I presume there is supposed to be some kind of um, segregation of the officials at half time. I mean, Michael Piper's entitled to his, his rest and not to be influenced. And obviously, Leinster weren't impressed by it. What I, I kind of like it all though <laughs> you know, yeah. I do I do I know you shouldn't and I know you're meant to say it's all disgrace and you know the referee and and, and you know listen referees need to be protected they, 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 they should be and of course if you know if you interfere with that then maybe you face sanction but I kind of like that it happens and let them face the sanction you know but it just adds to the spice it adds to, to you know um it just shows the importance, you know, and I just that image that you create, you um, painted there, Rory, of um, Jacko Piper going into the um, changing his changing room beside Leinster, and you got Johnny Sexton and uh, and uh, Sean O'Brien um, acting as bouncers as Rod and Skelton tried to come in. I wouldn't fancy getting it. I think there's one of those probably or two of them out of uh, out of place. But Skelton versus Sean O'Brien, I wouldn't fancy the look of that. Um, but it does sort of add. It just it's it's a final. It's a Europe. It's Leinster have lost. You know the previous week they've lost the previous year. It's the same guys. Um, La Rochelle have these. You know have this clearly this chip on their shoulder. Leinster are you know, weighed down by the weight of uh, a fifth star, and that's why you get people acting. You know out of the normal, and you know I don't mind that. I don't, I don't, you can't go near refs. I'm sorry. I, like, I've watched a few underage football games this season and just the effect at lower level. Like, it might be a bit of fun watching Raj and you imagine WWE-style tunnel fracas or whatever, but I think it's a really bad look and for Sexton to be seen on TV doing it as well, just leave him alone, whatever. Like, these refs have make so many mistakes, but they've such a hard job as well and it's just it doesn't help, I don't think. But I just, I find it interesting that Raj believes he can control so many different elements. So when he's given an answer on TV or radio or whatever it is, Rory, he's both analysing quite well, giving you quite a good dissection of a game, also sending a message to his own players, probably sending a message to the opposition, being quite political, putting his name in for future Irish jobs. He's got like 10 wheels spinning in his head at the same time as giving quite a good answer. He's kind of a one-off. His emotional intelligence is is off the charts his intelligence he's obviously just able to and I think you have to have an incredible brain to be a, a world class out half which mm. he was and I think Sexton's ability to see the picture you know you need to time this thing about time slowing down like Sexton and O'Gara I think were able to see the picture and it's it's one of the things that we young out halves is such a difficult thing for them to grasp because to be able to see everything going on at once like, like a quarterback is, is so difficult and obviously that feeds in like Sexton's hyper intelligent as well he's really mm. able to fight his own corner he's, he's they're both winners as well it's not just you know it's one thing being able to do it tactically but also to have that incredible desire like he's taking yeah. his family around the world for this you know I mean that, yeah. what, the, 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 I remember the scenes last year as well you know they've moved to New Zealand they've been to uh, Paris now they're in Ile de Rey and Ile de Rey is lovely but it's not it's not home they've, 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 they've made a massive commitment for this but he is he he he's an an incredibly gifted human being with an with an imp- 
impressive winning mentality. That that crosses the line sometimes, and he's obviously able to embrace these chips on the shoulder as well. It, like there was a book and everything he said across his interviews on Saturday before and after the game. It, he's fascinating. He's absolutely fascinating, and he is, in my mind, the outstanding candidate to be the Ireland coach. At the same time, Colin O'Regan, the comedian, put up an image today. And it was like O'Gara's first day at the Ireland session with with loads of uh, Leinster players. And it. it's it's Brian uh, Clough addressing the Leeds players in the Damn United. And the, <laughs> the throw, throw, your medal, throw your medals in the bin, lads. Yeah, I've won any medals in the last couple of seasons. <laughs> yeah. I'm the reason like it's, he's the bogeyman and there's a, the Shells fans sing about Damien Duff and the, the opposition fans that they sing the uh, zombie he's in your head he's in your head Duffer yeah. Duffer I, I, like Ogar is in Leinster's head he's firmly yeah. implanted himself there they would have beaten anyone else on Saturday yeah um, he is he definitely is I, I, I agree with you the the, the problem though <clears throat> that, that um, Ireland face is that the only job that um, Ronan I think would leave La Rochelle for you know in Ireland is the Irish job um, it's the only one that would do it. So it's only really international rugby that would move him anywhere, I believe. Um, so that means he's got the Irish job, which isn't, you know, uh, on the cards anytime soon, I don't think. Um, there's only other one job and probably in world rugby that, or maybe two jobs that that um, might persuade him um, to leave club rugby. And that's England and maybe Australia. And I think that would be a serious decision for him to make. And I think we'd be in jeopardy of, um, you know, of losing him to one of those two jobs. Depends how England go with this World Cup. You know, they have a new coach there, but he hasn't had a, you know, set an inauspicious start. Um, if they have a be if they have a bad World Cup, they may be looking elsewhere. Um, you know, depends what goes on. Australia have been sort of weird, but, you know, that might even be a job, might even be a, an international job that would, would interest them. So you're really down to potentially two jobs and one of them in Ireland doesn't look as if it'll come up for a while. And we may be in a situation where we're talking about how um, Ron O'Gara's England are in the head no. of our Irish Ah, Shane, piss off. I don't fancy that, honestly. <laughs> I'm telling you. It's been a rough weekend, Shane. That's the that's where you know this. There's not too many jobs that that um, that w- would I think interest Ronan or could interest him. Like, in where would you go? In you know what what other team would he where where would he go and leave La Rochelle for? Not a club team, not not to my mind. And then there's a very very few uh, international teams that would would interest him. But I bet you England would be one of them. I kind of feel he mentions it so often. He wants to like for all the talk of like money or power or whatever might come with other jobs I sort of feel his heart will still be with Ireland and that can that'll it's, make it's timing me. though it's, it's ti- that'll make him turn England down oh I don't think so I think he would do I England think he job. could do both I think I, I find it very difficult not at the same time Rogers he's impressive he's not that he's not that good but like we, I mean we have an English coach I still think it's such a leap for an Irishman to go and coach England. I find that so hard to tally. I know he could do it and, and he's qualified to do it and everything. Like, Bortwick's there until the next World Cup. I don't, I'm not that impressed by Bortwick, but he is English. They want to have an English coach. Um, he wants the Ireland job. He really, really wants the Ireland job. Like, you know, Shane played with him how many times for Ireland? How much did, How much does playing, being Ireland's 10, was that Ronan O'Gara's identity? How cutting was it when he was left on the bench for Paddy Jackson that time you know that this was everything to him for so long and now he's gone off all of this I think is part of a plan now part of the plan is being successful because that's what he wants to be along the way and look he's breaking eggs and that, that some of the things that the damage that's being done may be irreplaceable and the RFU will be looking at it from the outside and they might go no we don't want any part of going into referees rooms or getting bans or you know all, all of this stuff but at the same time you're looking at the, probably the best young coach in the world 
um, yeah. you know, who's outside. You know, Raiders Robinson's been picked up by the All Blacks outside of club rugby. So he's got to be top of that shortlist. And I think if the time, no matter where he is, if that call came, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a clause somewhere anyway that he could, that he can go take the Ireland job because yeah. he, he well, wants I think that. the IRFU and Rog make the timing work. Yeah. You start chatting now. Well, he's breaking. Well, that, listen, I, I, we shouldn't even be talking about this because it's not about this. But, no. um, you know, it is. The, my only issue is the timing issue. You know, and uh, because you know Farrell has done so well, um, and we're going into a World Cup, and actually the backroom team as well, who'll have their own ambitions as well and and conversations. But I do, without shadow of a doubt, I think you know um, Ronan is is the you know most um, impressive. Uh, now the most impressive um, club coach in the world and I would think he would be the most sought after coach in the world as I said uh, Robinson now has the All Blacks he would be number one if you're looking at anyone to move who is it any team in the world would want him um, and I'm sure under any other circumstances than one that exists right now Ireland would want him as well um, but that means others will just, I know we want to wrap, but just very quickly, one thing we we've gone deep on it, and one thing we didn't mention, I don't think, was losing James Ryan after thirty minutes. And you know, Leinster, we've we'll we'll spend months and months uh, looking at the kind of going deep themselves. But if they hadn't lost their captain after half an hour, some of the stuff we talked about, yeah, um, the leadership yeah, in the second and, half, like, you do, do need Ryan, luck. That you know, there is luck involved as well in the one point game, and that was a that was a big big miss that yeah, we Joe O'Brien, uh, you know, trying to catch the ball sort of challenging who was at rule in the air in the second half when they finally get out of the first half there was moments of luck but ultimately La Rochelle a, a good absolutely yeah. but it just for a complete yeah. analysis I thought that was one we just need yeah, to fair oh enough. and just the final thing we also <laughs> did get a bit, Leinster did get a bit of luck in that um, in the first half yellow card as well which um, I didn't think was a yellow card I thought it was a bit I thought it was a bit harsh and the fact that La Rochelle scored themselves on that yellow was kind of you know was impressive yeah, okay, well, they're breaking eggs. Ronan is breaking mostly Leinster eggs at the moment, I think <laughs> it's fair to say. Rory, Shane, Rory, thanks a million. Great stuff. Thanks a million, lads. Speak to you again in 12 months. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's never been done before to win here, to get a serious win. You know, it probably wasn't something you thought about as a young fella, but now there'll be young fellas at home in Ireland will be, you know, dreaming of playing for Ireland, you know, winning, winning over here. You know what I mean? Uh, have been done before, it won't be, it won't be the task that it was, and um, you know, it'll never be taken away from that group that they're the first ones to do it, not only win once, but win a series there.
They've been in control for 40 minutes. It's absolutely imperative now that Ireland gives them nothing here. As promised, Murph, here's your hurting email to wrap the show. The greatest sport that was ever played by any man, says Jeff Fitzpatrick. <laughs> excellent, yeah, excellent. Title. Hi, lads. After Murph's story a few weeks ago about his pal not going to a Galway football game to go watch Limerick instead, and Mal and Jamie agreeing was a bucket list sporting occasion like going to see Pep's Barca, I reached out to my brother-in-law and arranged to go to Tip versus Limerick. It was an amazing day and as a Dublin fan who has sat through countless dud Leinster football championship games I would suggest that the bucket list event is not seeing Limerick but instead going to see a Munster hurting championship game as in any Munster hurting championship game. As I sit here on the train back to Houston I'm still in awe of the raucous atmosphere and frenetic competition. Fantastic day out, says Jeff. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) yesterday, the two games yesterday were utterly brilliant. They really were just uh, sensationally brilliant brilliant entertainment and again like full stadiums you know and it just adds so much to these GA games you know the and the, like the jeopardy now is absolutely gigantic clear in the Munster final uh, Tip still have to beat Waterford next week which you'd have to presume they will do and so it all comes down to Cork and Limerick and I mean I still think Limerick will we'll just about get through yeah, but I mean, they like, the, a draw will edge. do Cork um, so they're they start a point up <laughs> Um uh, yeah, a draw will do Cork because of their uh, better scoring average, but um, it's just so unbelievably delicately poised. And, you know, you're kind of watching, you know, Limerick take Garrod Hegarty and Keane Lynch off, inside, you know, before 50 minutes have even elapsed, and they still managed to take out a draw. Yeah. You know, it, they're, it, it is kind of the, in a weird way, kind of talking, um, uh, you know, Infallibility, you know, and even even to bring it back to Leinster for a second, you know, Leinster's infallibility in all but the biggest games, you know, it's a real stick to beat them with, you know, and like brilliance and perfection in in sport and all the rest is, it's not that popular a thing, you know, it's you know, it's it, people aren't that amazed for too long by uh, absolute sporting perfection. So now we're seeing Limerick full of imperfections. And actually, maybe in a weird way, people's admiration for what they're doing is actually going up. Um, I still think they'll they'll probably have enough for Cork, but 
we have uh, Jamie in studio on Wednesday to we discuss do. all this. Jamie and Maggie Clerken on the show during the week. The future for Katie Taylor will be, well, is up in the air and will be up for discussion. We're going to talk Munster against the Stormers in the DHL Derby in the URC <laughs> final. That's it. Which for team's going to deliver on? That's the big question. That's the question. Football to come later today as well. Thanks, Ken. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, thanks, Just thanks, all of you. You're all great. Thanks, Emil. Sign up now on secondcaptains.com. No ads, remember, for any episodes if you sign up to the World Service. Second Captains Podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's to persuade us of the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.